Before we jump in and get started, I want to invite you guys to my masterclass, which will be happening live on February 12th at 9 a.m. It is called Three Sneaky Mistakes That Will Sink Your Etsy Shop and How to Fix Them for Etsy Success. The last time I did this masterclass, I had such a great response and it was so much fun to have so many people on live and just be really enthusiastic about it. So laurenkeplinger.com forward slash sneaky mistakes. And I hope that you will join us February 12th at 9 a.m. Hey friends, you're listening to Crickets to Cha-Chings, a show where we talk about all aspects of running a handmade business and marketing that business for success while still keeping a balance to have flexibility for your family. I'm your host, Lauren Keplinger, and I am so excited to get started. Let's jump right in. and welcome back for another episode of Crickets to Cha-Chings. My name is Lauren and today on the podcast I have with me Eugenia Salnikova. I hope I said that right. <laughs> yes, yes you did. Welcome. Hi Lauren. How are you today? I'm so glad to have you on here and to have this conversation. I feel like we've known each other for a long time but this is our first time actually talking in real life not in typing. Yeah, I think we've had a few conversations where you were mentoring on my Etsy shop uh, when we were going through some listings and some SEO. But yes, I also do feel like we've known each other forever. And to be precise, it's been one year and seven months that I've been following your classes. Yeah. Wow, that's so great. So introduce yourself to everybody. Kind of tell us, you know, what you do, what you make, kind of how you got started, all that backstory. Okay, so my name is Eugenia, and I run a shop with wooden cross-stitch blanks together with my mom, whose name is Tanya. My mom, she's based in Ukraine, and I'm based in France. So my mom does the physical part of the work, and I do more the creative part of the work, uh, the SEO, the customer service, and uh, so on. The shop started about five years ago, and it had a completely different name. It was called Knock on Wood because we were doing different wooden stuff, like wooden beads, bracelets. And after that, it just happened that over the last year, when actually I was taking your course more and more in detail, it got so niched down that it only became wooden cross-stitch blanks. So basically, it's a small piece of wood that is shaped into a small object. It can be a bell, it can be a little Christmas tree, it can be like a St. Patrick's gnome. It can be absolutely anything. Then the customer also gets a pattern for it so that he can stitch with certain colors that shape so that the shape would actually look like whatever it represents. So this is what we currently sell in our shop. And uh, last year has been very successful, mostly thanks to SEO and uh, customer service. But I'll be happy to elaborate on that later, further on. Okay, that's great. So it's kind of like crafting kit. So yes. Okay, you're sending them the materials and then they're making the product, the finished thing for themselves. Yeah, there are two options. They can either purchase the kit, which involves the needles, the threads and the cross-stitch blank itself. Or they can simply purchase the blanks and then they uh, buy the rest of the stuff if they want to play around with colors or something like that. Oh, okay. So I would imagine that this kind of came at a really good time <laughs> with all of 
the lockdowns and everything, everybody being at home and kind of, you know, bored. <laughs> yeah, it came at a very good time. And we actually started developing this uh, cross-stitch blanks subject around last uh, summer, more and more. It was just also when we were talking in the course about the seasonality and about how Christmas items should be prepared way in advance, because there were a lot of Christmas-related cross-stitch blanks. You know, people like to do handmade decor for their homes for Christmas. And we started working on those around August when everybody was on lockdown. And that's when we figured out that items for Christmas decoration have to be prepared even more in advance because first people decorate, then they think about the gifts. So it came in a very good time, but uh, it also was that with the SEO, the shop just gained momentum. Even this year is January and with Christmas, just three weeks behind, four weeks, Christmas cross-stitch blanks are still our best-selling item like every day. Oh, wow. That's great. It's crazy. Like every time I see it, my mom goes like, is Christmas coming? Like, I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Because a lot of times when people have those highly seasonal items, they're really nervous once that, you know, that season is over, it's coming to an end. So that's great that it's continued that momentum through, you know, through this last month. It was so well unexpected. Of course, I thought that people would switch more to Easter items, but uh, I guess when it's not a gift and when it's a decor element, people don't mind buying what they see right now, right away, and just saving it until the next season, you know, because gift ideas may change, but uh, the decor for Christmas is pretty traditional. So, yeah. Yeah, true. So you said you've been doing this for about five years. What was it like, like five years ago? Like, how has this morphed over the last few years? The first idea was uh, to use uh, Ukrainian high-quality wood for jewelry supplies and for handmade supplies. And uh, then it was actually completely by accident that um, my mom discovered the uh, cross-stitch blanks because she was shopping for some supplies. And then she was like, why don't I try it? Then she uh, tried it and one person bought it, another person bought it and Then my mom was like, you know what? I have a good feeling about this once. And well, my mom probably won't listen to it in English, but I had absolutely no faith in it. You know, I was looking at the, I was looking at the, you know, like Etsy giants just selling millions of things every day. And I was like, well, we have to be going there, you know, but it actually happened that, uh, it got niche so down because I was asking customers what kind of uh, cross-stitch blanks they would like to see in the shop. We would create them and we would go back to them and say, hey, we created them. We have people already who have been coming back to the shop six or seven times buying cross-stitch blanks for different uh, holidays. And if somebody had told me five years ago, four years ago, three years ago that we would actually rename the shop into something focused on cross-stitch blanks. Now it's called Happy Stitching Time. I would have found it really scary because I was very afraid of this very narrow audience, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, when you're selling for everybody, you end up selling for nobody. And we have a very uh, precise... uh, character who shops in uh, our shop you know it's a woman who loves handmade well then you know i went through the whole uh, character creation from your course the first part of it so it it, it was really precise in the end and it's easy to create uh, products for this woman right i think that is something that is so common for people to 
hesitate with. And I mean, I felt this way myself too, where you say like, but I just want to make sure I have something for everybody. I Mm want to make sure that I'm not like leaving anybody out or like leaving anything on the table that could possibly sell. But like you said, what that ends up doing is like making you not really appeal to everybody. Like if you picture just walking into a shop you've never been into and it having every product under the sun, (laughs) it ends up being really like overwhelming and not really anything that appeals to you because you don't really know what you're supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. there. So I think that's a really good lesson. And I love that you said about niching down by listening, you know, really what you were doing was getting feedback from people and then creating something not that you said, like, this is just what I want to make and I'm doing everything that I want to do, but you're listening to the people who are buying from you. Absolutely. So the consistent work on the shop and to see what people also buy regularly, that has helped a lot. And since also Etsy has this very personal touch to the experience, I found it also to be very common where you sell uh, handmade supplies. Because sometimes people come back to you with what they actually have made, you know, out of your cross-stitch blanks in our case. And we are always very happy to thank them, to offer a discount for future purchases. And uh, most of them uh, come back, not for the discount, but because they like the product. Because, of course, the quality also speaks for itself. And when they come back and when they thank, it's just one sentence. But just ask what else would they like to see in the shop? Or whether they have a custom idea in mind. If, of course, you have the uh, supplies, the time, and uh, if it's... um, profitable for you to make a custom request. For us, it absolutely works. But I understand that for many people, it may not be the case. Also, it makes the customer feel special because uh, we are listening to his or her requests directly, which, uh, you know, again, it uh, reinforces this uh, personal experience on uh, Etsy. Absolutely. And I think that you make a really good point there that, I mean, so many people are coming to Etsy who are already kind of creative and have that imagination of what they want. And they're looking for somebody to bring that to life. So while, you know, I think there are plenty of people that go and buy, you know, already made things, whatever kind of products that are already ready to ship or whatever. I also think that there are a lot of people in any way that you can add the personalization that draws them in. Like they take your idea and then, you know, whatever you've started with, and they're able to kind of branch off with their own imagination. You know, customer A does that, customer B does that, customer C does that. And all of a sudden, you're bringing in all of these creative minds to help your products. But those customers, what I have found in mine, you know, I actually wouldn't really consider myself a super creative person. Like the creative aspect of coming up with new designs and stuff was always really stressful to me. But to be able to bring in all these other people who are suggesting things for me, patterns and colors and designs and whatever, and then they're happy for you to create that. Like, it's not like they feel like you're imposing on what they've imagined or whatever. They're excited about the fact that you've brought that to life. Absolutely. And also when, you know, when you establish this like personal uh, link with the customers, they are no longer like embarrassed to ask whether you could make a custom order for them because I've also seen customers like tiptoeing around the question like, yeah, but would you mind please maybe adding just a couple of more cross-stitch blanks? I wouldn't mind. I would be happy for you to create them. 
And another thing, you know how you were talking in the course that you are not your ideal customer. This is also where it also helps to listen to the customers because you will never come up with the idea that will suit your uh, ideal customer like 100%. Otherwise, you might just as well sell stuff to yourself, you know, and not open the shop. So right. there are so many nuances and uh, listening and asking and creating that uh, customer persona, it really helped. Yeah. And I think that people are coming to you because they like your style of doing stuff. Like this was my experience when I was doing a lot of custom orders, which was a a huge portion of my business, particularly in the earlier times, was that people would say, I love your style of what you're doing. I love your style of baby gifts. But I would love to see, you know, for me, it was like a lot of animals because people were doing them to coordinate with different nurseries Mm -hmm. and stuff. You know, I would love to see an alligator or uh, whatever. And, you know, I actually have never had of my four children (laughs) a nursery that was decorated with animals. But like you said, I'm not making this for myself. I can make for myself whatever I want, Mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily... I don't have like a corner on the market of what every single person wants. Like each person has their own individual ideas, which is good because that adds to your idea, but they're coming to you because they like the style and they like the product that you've created. And they're just expanding on something that you might not have even thought about. Yeah. I remember you were talking about the t-shirts you made for your children for a cruise. Uh, Yeah. 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 So that uh, that's not something you sold in the store, but that's something you created for your uh, family. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I did it with all of my kids, especially my girls when they were younger, like dresses for them and all these things that I never had in the shop and never really particularly wanted to sell because they were super time consuming. But I was okay. You know, that's just for me. And I'm doing this for my own kids, but I don't have to sell them. My business model is based on something different that I'm you know, not necessarily the same thing that I'm making for my kids. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we also found out, you know, by finding your ideal customer, for example, let's say, like you said, a customer A purchases a cross-stitch blank of a bunny rabbit. And then she says that I would like also to get a cross-stitch blank of an Easter egg. But then the customer B, who is already a loyal customer in our shop, sees the notification that our shop has gotten an Easter egg, which was no longer listed. And it has happened to us to sell out the item we created based on a request for one customer because another customer was already buy it because she saw that new items were added to the shop. Absolutely. And I think that that's like the most beautiful way that it can ebb and like sort of evolve over time. Because then that customer could buy an egg one and then say, okay, so I have this egg, but now I would really love to have an egg with something else and they add to it. And then the next person takes that one and says, but I would really like to have this design on top. And, and it kind of evolves from there. But you have to be really open to listening to your customers, I think. Yes. And then, for example, one um, customer requested a princess. So I was very clear that we would make a princess, but as long as it's a neutral princess, you know, not like a copyright infringement princess. Right. Because you can find a lot of those uh, online. And I was uh, completely open to whatever image she would uh, suggest. And my mom, she made the design in a vector and uh, we cut the thing out of uh, plywood. Then again, like once the customer is a returning customer in your shop, they kind of trust you with your new designs, even if they didn't have it in mind. 
because like, oh, I already bought uh, Easter eggs from this shop. Probably their St. Patrick's decor is just as good. It's just I haven't thought about it yet. And if a customer is crafty, it's just one more thing for them to do, especially during the lockdown and everything. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So when you decided to join the program in... 2019, Eugenia is one of the the oldest students, <laughs> the longest running students. What kind of made you take that jump? Like, where were you with your shop and your business? And then, like, why did you decide to do that? I think that in terms of uh, organization, my uh, shop was a bit all over the place. And what was missing was search engine optimization. Because I felt like there was too much information and none of that actually fell together in the same place. And then I think I came across one of your posts on uh, Facebook and uh, it was about search engine optimization. So naturally I clicked on it. And what made me join is that it was actually for once it was clear, you know, it did not involve uh, any usage of uh, overcomplicated programs or... uh, it uh, also had you behind it and you had like a very good track record with your shop, you know, because I've seen other um, ideas or programs where the seller doesn't actually have any sales, but he teaches how to sell on Etsy. You know, we have an expression, it's like a shoemaker without shoes, you know, uh, back home, that's what we say. What made me join was uh, the clarity and your track record. And I think that given that I've been in your program for one year and seven months, Since then, I think we've gotten about 1,500 sales, especially over the last year. I think that, well, that means a lot, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, in terms of like the niching down, I mean, I know that you just went through that. So I kind of know the answer to that question already. But I feel like one of the big takeaways that you've had, not only the SEO and really optimizing for the traffic and everything, but just the clarity in the direction of your business moving forward. Absolutely. It was the clarity. It was also that I didn't have to tackle everything at the same time. First, I had to focus on my search engine optimization and good images for Etsy itself. And I could then leave social media for later. It also helped because before I was like, okay, so I have to pin like 25 images, but I also have to do SEO and I don't know how to do it. And my pictures could use better lighting. And when your course goes around it step by step, you no longer feel guilty about not doing everything at the same time when you have somebody there to guide you, somebody who has already done it and who has already been all over the place like you are. (laughs) Like niching down and having clarity was absolutely what I wanted. And it also helped me to let go of some of the ideas. Like, for example, my mom has... At this moment, like a big stock of wooden bracelets that haven't been sold yet. Maybe I'll renew them. Maybe I'll give them to charity. Maybe I just burn them. Well, probably not, but you know what I mean. But, uh, you know, the cross-stitch blanks are selling and I'm ready to get that few hundred dollars of inventory go just to free up the space in my mom's place, in our heads and move on with uh, what is working, you know. And this only comes... Once you have been doing the thing, you've been taught and you actually see that it works because if you are not doing it, you still feel like those wooden bracelets, maybe they will sell, but they're not. So why just not stick with whatever sells and give your customer what they want? And first, it's also about figuring out the customer, which was the very first uh, 
class in your course. And so far, the most helpful one, except for the SEO, of course. (laughs) So I hear this like pretty frequently. And it's really interesting to me because I've also had the same feelings, but it's that feeling of guilt. Mm -hmm. And it's like, who puts this pressure on us? Like, I don't know where this comes from. And this is not like anything about you feeling that way. Because like I said, I, I have felt it as well. But it's like you feel guilty if you're not doing every single thing under the sun. Like you are, I think really what it boils down to is if you're not doing every single thing, you feel like you're not doing enough. Absolutely. You feel like you're not working hard enough. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of, it's not funny, I guess, like ironic to me, (laughs) because it's like, the more that you can focus on the things that actually work, and the things that actually matter, the more you can let go of those things. But so much of it also is letting go of that guilty mental headspace. I think of it as like, working out. Like if you decided that you were going to get in shape, and then you went for a run for two minutes, and then you lifted weights for two minutes, and then you did yoga for two minutes. Yeah, <laughs> like you're never going to get anywhere because you're not really actually doing anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're going to be taking up your time, and you're going to say, you know, I don't know why I'm not getting into shape. I'm working out every day, but really, you're not doing anything that's mm-hmm. going to get you anywhere. That's my analogy. it's so freeing. I think when you get to that space and you can say, like you said, with the bracelets and, and any piece of your business that you say, you know what, this isn't serving my business. And so I'm going to let that go. And I'm not going to feel guilty about it. It's just done. I'm done with it. Yeah. But you know, I think that a lot of uh, people who just start on Etsy, they go like, okay, I will buy 100 bracelets for $1. I will sell them for $5 and I will have $500 in the end, you know, <laughs> minus the expenses. But then you figure out that actually this one bracelet has been renewed 20 times and it's still not working. And then the other one is uh, selling like crazy and you are running out of it. But for some reason, you don't want to give up on the one that hasn't been uh, working, even though it's... Uh, you know, uh, business and Etsy, it's not all black and white. It's also about moving forward and uh, adjusting. And uh, I don't know where this guilt comes from. But we also, with my mom, we have kind of the luxury to split it in between two of us. For example, customer service is uh, my thing. And I know that it will take my mom way longer to reply to a client uh, in English or in French. And at the same time, when uh, there is a new design, I know that my mom will Photoshop it or use Illustrator in two minutes, while I will take one hour to find the correct button, you know? So it's also (laughs) about doing what you like the most and what you are the best at. And if you are not uh, sharing this with your family members, well, hire somebody who will do it in uh, faster terms and who will do it more efficiently and get yourself back all the time for things you are good at. I think that's also in your course about, uh, or we talked about it in the group, that you should also like think in terms how much your time is worth when you're doing something. Yeah, and I think that that's huge because I struggled a lot in the beginning with not really feeling like my time was worth very much at all because I wasn't really doing anything anyway. You know, it's not like I was coming from a job where there was like a direct correlation with my time and the amount of money that I was making. So I was like, you know, if this shirt takes me three hours, and I make $15, well, that's still $15 that I didn't have. 
which is technically true, (laughs) but not a really great use of time because we all have things that, you know, we could be doing other than working. There's not very many people who are just sitting around literally doing nothing all day. So I think that 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 time value is huge. And especially if you want to run a profitable business, like you said, if it takes you an hour to find the button on Photoshop, which I am right there with you, (laughs) you're not going to get anywhere. And you're going to be so frustrated in doing it that it's going to be almost impossible to move forward. So being able to outsource some of those things, even in the earlier days, I think that there are kind of scrappy ways of doing that. Like I know when I first started making Christmas shirts for kids, I paired up with a local photographer. So I made the shirts and she took the pictures. And then I had like a group of friends that had little kids that modeled the shirts for me, basically, and they all got to keep their shirt for free. She was introduced with the to this whole group of families that wanted family photos and all of that. So it drummed up business like it was a really good partnership for mm-hmm. us. You know, so I think that there are ways that you can work with people without just having to hire an employee, because I know that that's really intimidating for people, but to just lean into the skills that you have. And like you said, with, you know, if you were dead set on, I am going to sell these bracelets, like this is going to be a bracelet shop, you may never have moved forward in Mm -hmm. your shop. Like you may still kind of be in that stuck space, but because you were willing to evolve with what you were hearing from the customer you can build a business based on what your customer wants versus just a, you know, just being so dig in your heels with what you have decided is going to sell, you know, whether or not it is actually selling. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. There is like this uh, theory in uh, software developing, which is called uh, prototyping when before actually launching a product on the market, because it's usually expensive to launch a tech product on the market because the one development hour is like a lot of money. They build a clickable prototype, which represents the software, but it's not on the market yet. And then they give it to their test audience so that the audience gives the feedback. And then they uh, pivot, they do iterations, they change it until the product is good to go on the market to save money on uh, launching the product. Because once it has been launched, the development is way more expensive. And that is listening to your dream customer, you know, in every single sphere of uh, work. This is also about not being stubborn about your ideas because it's also very humbling because you think your idea is uh, genius and with all respect, it may be, but it's not the case for your ideal customer. And our goal is to make uh, customers happy, just like with uh, this uh, prototype is uh, to see whether the customer will actually pay for it. For example, if my mom creates a cross-stitch blank and she'll say, do you like it? Of course, I will say I like it. I'm her daughter, you know. But uh, for example, once there was a lady who came to the shop and she wrote, I'm sorry, but I think this design looks cheap. I was like, who are you? Like, why are you telling me this? And then I looked at the whole shop and it really it was like a worse picture. It was a smaller design. It has been an item that has been just hanging in the shop for I don't know how many renewals. And I wrote to her, I was like, you know what? Thank you very much. It actually does stand out from the crowd, but in a bit of a wrong way. She made the pressure <laughs> within a day. Like that's like a fairy tale story, but it is. And I'm pretty sure she returned to the store and like followed on social media and uh, all of that. So of course I could have been defensive about this idea that I had about this item in the first place, which was my first reaction. I was like, what do you know even? But uh, no, it turned out to be actually valuable feedback that 
gained me a customer because I listened to her right away. Yeah. And I think that that is a huge takeaway. I've also had a similar experience earlier on where I had somebody, she actually didn't reach out to me. She just left me like, it wasn't bad feedback. I think it was like three stars. So it's like neutral feedback saying that it, it was kind of cheap. And I mean, obviously, you know, your first reaction is always defensive. But when I reached out to her and I was like, you know, what could I have done to make this better? What were you looking for that I did not meet your expectation? And she talked about the quality of fabric that I was using. These were burp cloths at the time. At the time, I was buying my fabric from like a big box store and it was kind of cheap. And so even though, you know, I didn't know enough about my own market to really realize that that was not the best quality fabric, but because, I mean, she basically taught me. And so I said, okay, well, maybe I should go down this rabbit hole a little bit. And I explored, you know, other fabric options and stuff. And I ended up upgrading my fabric dramatically. And so that was really good feedback because from then on, I always got great reviews and, you know, messages from people and stuff about the quality. So even though obviously you never really want bad feedback and you never want people to be unhappy, you can almost always learn from what they're unhappy with. And if you're open to it, which is something that I struggle with, and I've talked about that a lot, but if you're open to listening to people and really taking that to heart and seeing if, I mean, there are sometimes just people who are mean, but a lot of times they're not. And they offer some valuable, you know, information for you that you can use to move forward. Absolutely. And also what I have noticed is that, you know, when the customer asks you a question about, uh, for example, for some clarity, or they want to make sure they got the right pattern, because we also send the uh, stitching patterns in a digital format together with the purchase so that if the customer wants to repeat the same pattern as in the picture, they can do it. It's also good to not make the customer feel abandoned. You know, if you're purchase is like an, how would I say it? Like an ongoing one, you know, so that there is a pattern, then there is a process of the whole stitching. And then the person will send you the picture of the finished product. And uh, then they will come back for more. There is always this permanent dialogue with the client, especially if it's a returning one and not make them feel abandoned. Like they're all alone in this, you know, I know it's time consuming, but this what is what has worked for my uh, shop so far. And um, making the experience personal. And also, for example, it was just like one small life hack, but I turned on the auto reply for the shop to say like, oh, if you're texting us now and we are not replying, this is probably because we're in a different time zone and we're sleeping, but we will be back in this or that amount of time. And uh, most of the time it uh, works because it's true. We're located in Europe. So for us, uh, that time zone thing, it's kind of uh, crucial because a lot of our customers are sleeping while we are working and the other way around. 95% of our orders come from the States. So if there are any people from Europe listening or those for whom time zone is an issue, this uh, always helps. This uh, little message to let people know that you want to read their messages, just that you're not available at this very moment. And of course, yeah. uh, reply as soon as possible. I think that you also told in uh, the course that the speed of how we reply to comments, uh, to messages, and whether we do reply, it counts to like the social score, the whole 
score of your store, the quality score. Yeah, there's definitely an impact for just being responsive to your customers for sure. I think that autoresponder tip is a really good one as well, especially for people who are in those different time zones, just because I mean, people can be impatient. And a lot of times, I think, especially since Etsy kind of changed the way the messages look, it seems like it's like a text thread back and forth where you might not really see it for several hours, but it seems like it appears on the app and on the website, like somebody's there, like ready to respond right now. <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. Yes. And also, you know, that's uh, also what you were speaking about auto reply. That's also what you were saying in the course that uh, you have to set yourself some time outside of Etsy as well, you know, and uh, for example, I know that if I didn't have this auto reply on, I would feel really uncomfortable during dinners, during dates, during everything when I would see the notifications, you know, and uh, then I know that like this auto reply is like my safety net, you know, I'm there for the customer, just I will reply when I'm more there. Uh, otherwise, I know that very often if you don't reply right away to an inquiry, the customer will go away. And this has helped me, uh, the auto reply function to uh, deal with this uh, fear of missing out the customer. Absolutely. And I think that that's a huge part of the program is just having that balance and figuring out how you can run that really successful business without feeling like it's completely taking over your life. Absolutely, yes. Not, not the goal. <laughs> Absolutely. Where are you headed with your shop? Like, what are your goals for 2021 now that we are finally there? <laughs> well, surprisingly, I feel like Christmas this year is going to be wow. Because like I said, Christmas items are still um, selling. The goal is to create as many seasonal items as possible. And we are creating a lot of them based on our clients' uh, feedback again. So we have some requests for the 4th of July. We have some requests for St. Patrick's Day. We have a lot of Easter requests. Halloween is already selling. So it would be to basically have a set of cross-stitch blanks for every occasion. Speaking about numbers, it's hard to say how much we would like to reach in sales per month because there are people who buy just one set and then there are people who buy 40, you know, for all the occasions in a year and then they just uh, stitch them. So I think that we will mostly base uh, ourselves on how many new products we can add per week. And then uh, I think that uh, with the right uh, SEO and uh, marketing, the sales will come along. Like we still need to shape uh, how many we would like. But then again, like last year, they almost uh, tripled from what they were the year before. So I don't see why that wouldn't happen this year. I mean, uh, the shop is uh, already like it pays for all of my mom's uh, living expenses uh, and the part of mine. Awesome. This is, uh, yeah, this is something when for the first time five years ago, we sold wooden eggs for Easter. They were like $3.40 and I was so happy. <laughs> I never knew that like five years later, I would be talking to you on a podcast about cross-stitch blanks, which means that, yeah, your class has also given me like the flexibility to look outside of my box and into my customer's shopping cart. Awesome. I am so thankful for you coming on here and talking about this. And I'm so glad that the program has been so impactful for you. It's so exciting that, you know, it's really 
providing an actual meaningful income for both you and your mom, which is amazing. It definitely has. Like even, uh, for example, if my mom has a question, she always like, yeah, but can you ask Lauren? I was like, mom, it's not like I have her speed dial. I will go and I will check out the group. You know? But it has definitely been one of my best investments in terms of my shop. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I'm so glad. And I appreciate you being such a longstanding cheerleader. I'm planning on staying. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. Well, you can tell everybody where they can find your shop if they want to check out your products and, and follow along. Uh, okay. So on Etsy, it's called Happy Stitching Time. Stitching S-T-I-T-C-H-I-N-G. And on Instagram, it's also Happy Stitching Time. It only has one picture so far because we just started working on it. But social media was the last part of the course. So we're getting there and we will be definitely uploading more uh, products and pictures because a lot of our clients, again, they're visual and they actually ask for social media presence. So that is another part of the course that I would uh, really like to go through again to make sure my social media presence goes together with uh, how my clients see what uh, they want to buy. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for being here, Eugenia. It's been great talking to you. Thank you very much, Lauren. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Eugenia and got inspiration from the business that she's built and the meaningful income that she and her mother are able to bring into their lives in order to support their living expenses and really make an impact in their family. I do want to remind you one more time to get signed up for that masterclass, February 12th, 9 a.m., three sneaky mistakes that will sink your Etsy shop and how to fix them for Etsy success. Head on over to laurenkeplinger.com forward slash sneaky mistakes to get registered. I'll see you back here next week. I will see you next week back here on the podcast. Same time, same place. Bye for now. Bye.